quiets the crowd. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another portion of our adventure guided tour throughout this Advent season. Uh, I'm your guide, Porter, and I'm really wondering if you guys, you two, were listening uh, well when we were last in Jerusalem. Um, of course we were listening. Look at these amazing beach clothes that we bought at the bazaar after you left. Um, perhaps I should have been more clear. We're going to the desert, you know, really hot. Re really hot, yes. But uh, back in Jesus' time, they generally wore robes and headgear to keep the sun off of them and the sand out of their eyes. Luckily, I brought some extras for you two. Oh, and I also brought camels. Hey! Don't worry, everyone will get a turn. Don't, don't you worry about it. Excuse me, Porter, but what protects the camels from the sun and sand? You would think because they're furry and they do all the work that they would be hot and bothered by the weather. Ooh, let me answer that. Right. Last night I was reading about deserts and I learned lots of facts and information about camels and how they survive in the desert. Their biggest strength is their ability to survive without food and water for long periods of time. They store fat in their humps and water in the lining of their stomachs. Um, well, uh, they can also go approximately 14 days without water. Sorry. They have wide padded feet that help stop the camel from sinking into the sand. Their woolly coats keeps out the heat of the day and the cold of the night. Hairy eyelashes, ears, and slit nostrils keep out the sand. Hmm. Well, thank you. You just made my job a lot easier, and you also showed everyone here how much you don't need me. And any time you would like to say, Porter, go home, take a nap, you deserved it. Then feel free. Um, Porter, I don't know about everyone else, but I think I might need you. What on earth is that big black thing over there? Is it a bird? Or maybe a plane? It's Superman. Or, no. Or, oh no, it's oh. just a tent. Yes. You see, this is a home of a person in the Bordonian culture. Uh, the people who lived in these tents in Jesus' time had to move uh, around quite a lot for their food and water. Uh, so, and they also had to walk for, to do trading. So they had to sell things like skins of animals, jewels, and gems they found in the desert. Uh, therefore, their houses need to be easily moved, like a tent. Why is it such a dark black color? I would think it would be really hot and dark in it. Well, you see, it is important for the people to, feel, to protect themselves against the sun's rays. Uh, the black color absorbs the sun's rays and keeps it off them. Um, and it's kind of like wearing a swimshirt at the beach. Keeps the sun rays off you, yes? Um, and actually, in Jesus' uh, time, he actually spent a lot of time in the Egyptian desert. Uh, and also, when they were young men, him and his cousin, John the Baptist, actually spent quite a bit of time here. Um, who would like to read about that? I think you would. An angel from the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take your child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod will soon search for the child in order to kill him. Joseph got up during the night, took the child and his mother to Egypt. They stayed there until Herod died. This fulfilled 
what the Lord has spoken through the prophets. I have called my son out of Egypt. Can I read the next one, please? Of course. Oh, yeah. John grew up, becoming strong in character. He was in the desert until he began his public ministry to Israel. The Holy Spirit sent Jesus out into the desert. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. Jesus was among the wild animals, and the angels took care of him. I can't believe Jesus was right here walking around all these places. It's just amazing. Well, this does bring us to the end of our guided tour today. Uh, I hope you've had a great time learning throughout this Advent tour tour. I know, it's quite, quite the zinger. All right. Uh, now, it's true that Jesus did walk right here, and he also visited many towns and cities and deserts. Uh, oh, dear. It looks as if one of the camels have escaped. After him. I can't be bothered. I pulled my hamstring. Wow, what a thrill. Isn't that great? I think it's just fantastic. Even I'm learning stuff up here. This is wonderful. All right, if you have your uh, bulletins, I want to call attention to a couple things on the back. Most of this you already know. So this is a reminder. Um, Christmas Eve service is this week. Uh, Merry Christmas, by the way. This is Christmas week. So this coming Christmas Eve, we have two services. What time? Four and six. Very good. Now, I encouraged all of you to uh, just invite your friend. It's real easy to go and say, hey, if you don't have a place to worship or you're looking for a place to worship, join us Christmas Eve for candlelight service at four to six. So I was in Sunshine Cafe this week, and I went up to the owners, and I said, hey, if you don't have a place to worship and you're looking for one, come join us this uh, Christmas Eve. And she goes, I know we've already been invited, four and six, right? <laughs> That's what I like to hear. We, um, we could probably still use some help. We have uh, quite a bit of people. So if you're interested in helping at either of the services, send me or Mike Graham an email and uh, let us know. And uh, we can always use help. The place will be packed. For those of you that have not been here, we expect somewhere between 800 and 1,000 between our two services. So this room will be sitting room only. And uh, there will be overflow into the commons. And so a couple of requests for you to consider as our church family if, especially if you don't have family in town, uh, consider sitting in the commons so that our visitors can get the first-hand experience. They'll, it'll be uh, projected over there so they'll be able to see it, but it's a different experience than when you're in here. And the second thing is park far, far away and walk. It's good for you. It's good for the heart to get out and walk. So park far away. Uh, next Sunday, a week from today, is our last service of the year, and every year at the last service we have one combined congregation, so the two services at 9 o'clock. What time? 9 o'clock. Very good. If you come at 8.30, you can help us work. If you come at 10, you're just going to be enjoying the fellowship time. And so uh, our combined service is an end-of-year praise service where Mark and I, this is your time to talk about what the Lord has done. Maybe a praise, something that's happened to you, maybe a time where you've been in the desert. We're going to talk about that in just a moment and um, how we can pray together. And so this is just a wonderful service that we spend time together. Let's see. If you move on down, uh, the DCC Food Bank down there, you can see we're running low on supplies. So if you would like to fund either our food bank or our benevolence, you can do that. You can write a check for the offering during that time. And uh, we would be 
delighted to use it. The Lord is a, it's a time of the year when we are helping lots of people in lots of ways. It gets cold up here, you know, and uh, people are coming to us for help. And we have a reputation in the county of helping people. So we want to continue that. So if the Lord leads you to do that, feel free to help with the, either of those. Okay, I want to pray today for Rod and Angela Cummins and uh, Roy and Nancy Herring. Both men are uh, fighting for their lives with cancer. Um, I know what it's like to be in the desert. So do you. You've been there, haven't you? You've been in the desert. I know what it's like to, uh, on a cold day, snowy day in January, to sit with my wife as her uh, heart stops and she goes to be with Jesus. I I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be laid off from a job, to come home and feel the shame and sit in my closet and alone and just cry. I know that. I know what it's like to be told you have cancer. You've walked that journey with me and uh, not expecting it. I know what it's like to have a doctor tell me that if I don't, if I don't have all these surgeries to repair this stuff here, I don't have long left to live and have to go through a whole bunch of surgeries in a short span of time and the pain that goes with that. Those are all desert wilderness times, aren't they? Wilderness wanderings. You've been there. Many of you have. Some of you are there right now. And you understand wilderness wanderings. We're going to talk about that. Rod and Angela Cummins are there right now. He's fighting stage four colon cancer. They'll probably be at the second service. They were at last week's service. And we're very grateful that I told the story and had us pray as a congregation. And uh, Roy and Nancy Herring are back at MD Anderson in Houston, and they are uh, fighting stage one lung cancer. And, um, uh, and there may be more of you that I simply don't know about, so I don't mean to exclude you. But I'd like to pray for those of you that are in that wilderness wandering period right now. So let's take a moment and pray. Father, we uh, lift up to you, Lord, at this time of the year when... Uh, Lord, we should be experiencing so much joy, and yet we're caught in the tension of a broken world, and uh, a world, Lord, that is, is still filled with uh, hostility and anger and um, just hurt around, and Father, uh, sickness, and it just puts us in a place of tension that how do we experience joy at the same time we recognize the desert and the wilderness? God, I pray that you would help us, that you would um, be with us. And I pray for these men in particular who are fighting for their lives, Lord. Give them, give, them, um, give them grace in their families, their wives and their children during this time. Strengthen them, Lord, for the fight. But Father, I pray that you would be pleased to heal them, that you would be pleased, Lord, to just intervene in a very powerful way and uh, to show them your love in a new way that they haven't seen it before. Lord, we come to you because you are a God who we can trust, and uh, we are grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, the appearing of the Messiah. He's almost here. He's coming soon. Are we ready? So each week we've been looking at the gift that the Lord brings. What is Christmas all about? That's the question we've been wrestling with. So <clears throat> the first Sunday we talked about the net, that the Messiah came to go fishing. He came to go fishing. Who did he go fishing for? You. That's who. 
He came to go fishing. The second one, he came as a shepherd. Why? To gather the flock. Scattered all over the hillsides. Lost, wandering. He came to gather the flock. Who's the flock? You. See the gifts? Then Jerusalem. He came to clean house. We saw that last week. The, the money changers in the temple, they had impeded the Gentiles from worshiping. He came to clean house. Who did he come to clean house for? You. Us. And today we're talking about the deserts. We're talking about deserts and wilderness. A little bit of background. In the Bible, the wilderness is not simply an open desert of hot blowing sand with palm trees and camels. That's how we portray it. Today has a, has a little bit of a negative side to it, a little bit of a dark side. You see, at Christmas, we, we really want to be happy, but we really need to understand why Christmas is here. Why did he come? Why are we lighting these candles? Why are we singing all these Christmas carols? Why do we have all the lights? I don't want to take away from the joy, but I think you'll appreciate the joy even more if you understand the truth and the reality behind why Christmas is even here. Fundamentally, at its core, the desert, the wilderness, is a location that has insufficient resources to sustain long-term community existence. It's no man's land. Can't live there, not for very long. It's most noted for its lack of food and water. So imagine 40 years in the desert wandering with no water. It occurs all throughout the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, what we call the Torah, the law. It's woven all throughout their journey. In fact, it's everywhere in the Bible. Everywhere you look, you find desert. Elijah, Paul, going through the Arabian Desert, once after the Damascus Road experience. It's everywhere throughout here. Ishmael, Genesis 21, when he was exiled from Abraham's family, wandered out into the wilderness to live. Israel wandered for 40 years. That's what the book of Exodus is all about. Living in a desert, if you will. Mount Sinai, where they received the very first part of God's communication, written communication, was in the desert. It's in the wilderness. The scapegoat on the Day of Atonement once a year, they sent the scapegoat for the nation. They would metaphorically put the sins on the scapegoat and send it out into the wilderness Outside the camp, it's called. Out into the uninhabitable portions of the world, signifying the wretchedness of our sin, sending our sin out into no man's land. The book of Numbers takes place in the wilderness. Israel moved from one wilderness to another. The priesthood in the book of Leviticus is occurs, that occurs in the desert. That's where they received all the rituals and what God expected this is where the nation grumbled mostly against God. Back in Egypt, we had leeks. Out here, we have sand. They grumbled often. They grumbled often. The book of Deuteronomy takes place on the edge of the wilderness as they're preparing to enter the promised land. Okay, that's just the first five books. So what's behind this? What is the meaning behind this wilderness idea? because it's a very strong theological metaphor. The wilderness was a very dangerous place, and it was dangerous for Israel. 
This is where they met death. You want to sin against me? God says, go ahead. And you're all going to drop in the desert. And that's what happened. But it's also where they met their God for the first time. Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, when God decided to speak, was the God had been silent for 400 years. And this is where they met their God. He decides to speak at the base of Mount Sinai. That's in the middle of the desert, in the middle, middle of the wilderness. It's, it was a place where they became a separate and a cohesive nation. It's where they came together as a people group. It was, the desert was a transitional place for Israel. It was the place where they transitioned from slavery to freedom was in the desert. It was also the place where they left slavery in Egypt and, in, and moved to the promised land. It was a transitional place for them. The desert is very important in Israel's history. It was a place, the place where God formed them as a people group and he forged within them a love for him and a respect for him and he forged within them a relationship that happened in the desert. Now, you know where I'm heading with this, don't you? You can already second guess me. I want you to see why the desert is important. Why the wilderness wanderings in your life become important. So it's a place where God formed them in, as a people group. It was a place of testing. He tested them. And what happens when he tests? What happens to our faith when we get tested? It grows stronger, doesn't it? Your faith cannot grow stronger without testing. So we could say clearly, your faith will not grow stronger unless you enter the wilderness. It's not going to happen. It was where they experienced incredible grace and salvation. God took care of them every day, clothed them. Sandals didn't wear out, fed them food every day, even though they grumbled about it. Water every day, he took care of them. It's where they experienced grace. At the beginning of the wilderness, you have the parting of the Red Sea. At the end of the wilderness, you have the parting of the river still. Again, to enter the promised land. So God bookends the two experience, the experience of the wilderness with his incredible grace. It was where they learned to trust the Lord deeply for sustenance. They had no choice. Absolutely no choice whatsoever. There was no water. Their only choice was to trust God. Only choice. It was where they learned to listen to God and follow his leading. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. God was ever present with them, communicating, living with them, leading them, guiding them. This is where they learned to listen to God. It's where they began to hear his voice most clearly. When they came out of the desert, God sent prophet after prophet, and they didn't hear. Prophets talked to them confronted them, and they did not hear. We like to think that if God would only speak to us, we would hear his voice clearly. But the record proves the opposite. It does. We don't listen to prophets, but we do listen in the wilderness. We do hear. It was where they learned to trust God for protection against plagues, fire, snakes, all kinds of terrible things that happened to them. Again, they didn't have a choice, but they learned to trust God. When they came out of the wilderness, back into their hometowns and their cities, 
and they became successful, prosperous, comfortable, didn't need to trust God anymore. Sound familiar to us? It was where they learned that their God was with them through all that happened. None of this could have happened had they not gone into the wilderness. It was the wilderness experience that taught them these things. It wasn't God's ultimate goal to punish Israel. We need to remember that. Rather, it was his goal to forge them into a nation who would trust him forever. This is the theological meaning of the wilderness in the Bible. This is it. Right here. God's strong desire was to forge them into a nation to trust him completely, to trust him forever. If you think back about your own wilderness wanderings, if you were in a community that would help you with that, you would see that all of these things happened to you. The wilderness is a critical part of our own journey. This is behind the argument in Hebrews when he talks about pilgrimage. I'm just going to read you Hebrews 3. So as the Spirit says, I'm in Hebrews 3, 7, today, and he's quoting some passages, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. This is the wilderness setting. This is the exodus. So this is the context for the author to say these words. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't harden your hearts like your ancestors did. Don't do it. Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. They had plenty of proof and they still rebelled. This, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters. This is an important verse. This is one of the early commands in Hebrews that is for us. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Don't do it. Don't harden your hearts. Those of you that are in the wilderness right now, the wandering part, don't harden your hearts. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Let us help you. Keep trusting. Let us run alongside of you and walk with you. I'm not in the wilderness right now. I'm having the time of my life here. It's one of the best times of my life being right here with you. I'm not in the wilderness, so I'm willing to walk alongside. But I have been in the wilderness many times. I recognize the hot, dry sand and the lack of water. I recognize that alone period where I'm wondering, where in the world is the Lord? Why did he do this to me? I think it's what Christ felt. Why have you forsaken me? That's a wilderness period, a moment for him. Don't do it. Don't harden your hearts. Okay? Don't do it. But then he goes on and says this amazing verse. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Now, 
the if-then clauses in the Bible are really wonderful. They communicate so much. Let me tell you what I think this one is communicating. Okay? This is what we call an evidence inference clause. In other words, the evidence that something is true is found in what's happening. So we could turn it around. If I see you holding to your conviction to the very end, if I see that, and if others see it, guess what we know? You have come to share in Christ. That's what we know. This is not a statement about that we've come to share in Christ only if we hold our original conviction. What that means is the really only the only moment that counts is the very last moment in life. No, this is the opposite. We can look at each other's lives and we can see that you're enduring. Then we know the truth about your conviction. We know it. All the way through the struggle with my wife dying and after she died, never had a thought that people might be watching me. I was surviving. And guess what? People were watching me. And when I came out of that several year period of wilderness, several people commented, we know your faith is real. We saw how you endured. That's what this is talking about. We can look at your life and we can see it. It's amazing. Amazing. Our proof is that we stay the course. And we want to help each other, don't we? Those that are in the wilderness wandering. I don't want the Cummins to go through this alone. Stage four colon cancer. Oh, my goodness. I don't want them to go through it alone. I want us as a community to walk in this wilderness with them in this period of time. So what does this have to do with Christmas and Advent? Well, let's think back about the stories that we love so dearly. What's the very first one? There's no room at the end, right? No room at the end. We have managed to romanticize that a little bit, and we create pictures of Mary sitting there with the, the animals around, and everything is warm and cozy. You know what? This, this is without question the most shaming story in the Bible. Matched only by the crucifixion. You'll hear more Christmas Eve about that. It's a story filled with incredible shame, mocking, but it also has joy in the middle of it. We have often focused on the joy, rightfully so, but I want you to be aware that for a very, very, very young pregnant woman to be told, you can't stay with me, go live with the pigs or the sheep or the goats is a shaming, shaming kind of thing. Something that carried with her her whole life. What did the Pharisees say later? At least we know our Father, they said to Jesus. The word was out. Well, it's also through the wilderness, as we read today, that Mary and Joseph escaped to Her uh, Herod's program of extermination, and they went to Egypt. Think about that. The temple, God's very house, if you can't find grace and help at God's very house, where are you going to find it? That's why the story of Peter and John is so critical when the man sitting at the gate called Beautiful, they walk up to the temple and there's a lame beggar there. I could, I see, I could see it if it's a thousand miles away, but right on his front porch? This is God's house we're talking about. 
And so the further they get away from Jerusalem, metaphorically, the further they get away from the center of the spiritual universe, God's house. This is a statement of shame, of mocking. They had to go so far away. And how did they get there? They had to go through the desert. It's in a wilderness, the desert, that John the Baptist began preaching about the kingdom of heaven. Wilderness is where Jesus' great temptations occurred. That's where his testing occurred. And by the way, all of this language is symbolic of the Exodus. Because he drove these people down to Egypt, God did, where they became a nation, and then he called them back out. That's why the gospel writers say he drove them, his son to Egypt because he said, out of Egypt I've called my son. Jesus did what, e- what Israel could never do. He successfully navigated the wilderness of life. That's what he did. They could never do it. So, what's the gift here? Here, the wilderness. He came to lead us out of the wilderness because he knows the way. He knows how to get out of the wilderness. This is the true meaning behind Christmas, the mission of God. The entire life of Christ, he says in Luke 22, was an experience in temptation. He was tempted from day one at his birth all the way to the very end of life on the cross. You're the son of God. Come down from the cross. So what happened in the desert with, the, with Satan for 40 days is one glimpse of what happened to the life of Christ. So when he stepped out of heaven, he stepped into the desert. That's what he did. He lived his life in the desert. That's what Christmas is all about. Why? To show us how to get out of the desert because that's where we live. The outcome of this desert experience for Christ is joy in Hebrews 12 who for the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. Guess what? That's the story of our lives, isn't it? What Paul calls our momentary light afflictions compared to the eternal weight of glory. That's what Christmas is about. So the very night when Christ was born, he stepped from heaven into the wilderness. You can only experience and understand true joy when you wrestle with God when you've gone through the wilderness and you've all been through it. So when we get to Christmas Eve, I want you to really enjoy what our Messiah did. Did the most amazing, wonderful thing ever. Nothing ever was greater, nothing ever will be. He stepped into the wilderness to show us the way out of the wilderness because that's where we live. That's where we were. Think back all, all those things that happened with the uh, Israelites. Came to know the Lord. He forged them into a people group. He taught them to trust him. He taught them about sustenance, how to protect him. He taught them out of that. And that's what you are learning in the wilderness. When you go through those wilderness experiences, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Hang in there. If you're feeling loneliness and it feels overwhelming, Come talk to us. Let us walk with you. Father, we are so grateful. Lord, we didn't have a choice. We were born in the wilderness. 
You didn't have that choice not to be. But you did. Your son had the choice. And he willfully stepped into the wilderness to show us the way out. What an amazing gift. Christmas is so significant to us in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for walking through that entire wilderness experience all those years that you lived here just so that you could show us the way to escape. Thank you. We lift you up, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name because we believe in you. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and take the offering. Thanks for being generous. Thanks for taking care of our food bank, our benevolence fund. Thanks for taking care of our staff. Thanks for taking care of our facility. Thanks for making it possible for us to do church and to enjoy each other. You're a generous people. Thank you.